0: You're listening to the Pimpcron Podcast. Well, hello, kids. It's episode 214 of the Pimpcron Warhammer Podcast. And all the children cheered. I don't know. Just wanted to say it different today. Oh, well, so it's 214 of the Pemcron Warmer podcast, and we are brought to you today by gameat.eu for pre-painted terrain, STL files, neoprene mats, all that good stuff. Event 10 is 10% off your order there and panhandle3d.com for 3D printed terrain. And that's podcast 10 at that place. Cool. So we also have some beautiful Sexy Goods Mill and Patreon patrons that I would like to thank for making the show possible. Love you, boo. Anyway, what are we talking about today? We are talking about the Games Workshop Warhammer Day Emperor's Champion Special Edition model and the Want That or Want That Not. We also have a letter from Jeremy who is a repeat writer in and he wants to discuss a new painting method that he discovered and he wants to share it with us. And then we also have a real talk with the Pemcron, where we discuss the legendary man who set his army on fire when Age of Sigmar came out And there's an interview from 2015 with him that I discovered. And he's got a lot of predictions about Age of Sigmar and what's going to happen and all this. And we will see whether or not he was on target or he was way off base. What have I been up to? Well, I have not played any games at the club this week. I didn't get to go to the club, but I did play some test games of some mission formats for regular brutality and I'm still tweaking it. You know, stealth missions and stealth rules are very, very hard to figure out. I think I'm starting to get it, though. I had to actually sit down with my son and explain the issues. And a lot of times me explaining my problems to somebody, uh, the I, the process of putting it into words helps me organize my thoughts. And that's why my wife all the time has to listen to my game design issues where I'm like, oh, This just doesn't make sense. See, I'm doing this, and the reason why I'm doing this is because if you do this, then you do that, and then blah, 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 and, you know. So that really does help, and I think I did make a breakthrough with that. So it's something I've been struggling with for a couple weeks now, trying to figure out how to accurately depict a stealth mission, because clearly both players know exactly where the models are, right? So what it mostly ends up being is you just disempowering the uh the guarding player versus the stealthing player and that's no fun so i wanted to make it um, accurate for both of them and what else have i been up to well um i found a guy on instagram called uh pump cron which is funny and i was like oh he's definitely named it after me because that name is so similar right no 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 he's never heard of me and he found the web the podcast and said he liked it. Um, Pumpcron. It's like Pumpernickel Gaming or something like that. And uh he said that his first army was Necrons, so he goes by Pumpcron. I'm like, that is freaking hilarious. And so it's a very similar story. I, I don't know what he looks like. He may look just like me. Like I, it very well could be, could be one of those like uh, separated at birth twins sort of thing. Like my mom had me and accidentally crapped him in the toilet or something. And then he went through like the whole sewage system and then some like water treatment worker found him. Cause you know, babies can breathe water for a while after the, the water breaks and uh, then nursed him back to health. And um, he was like a little sewage baby And then they just raised them as their own. And we've been having like parallel but separate lives. It's crazy. So uh, what else? I want to tell you something. This is a little anecdote about raising kids and about finding commonality with your children and things like that. And as they get older, you know, mine, my oldest is now 13 and uh, they're all getting older and they're having their own interests. And of course, interests with their friends and things like that. I'm talking a little bit uh, quieter because I don't want to, like, yell this through the house, but um, I'm, I'm secluded, but they could probably hear me. But the point is, is that in order to keep any relationship intact and healthy and growing, you need to find commonality. And this goes for your wife, this goes for your friends, this goes for your children, your parents, anything. If your dad really loves football, then by golly, you might want to sit down and watch some football with him once in a while because... That's just the way it is, right? My mom loves horror movies and my brother and my dad and my wife and all of them hate horror movies. So years ago, I decided, you know what? I'm going to do this so that me and my mom have something to do together. And I personally absolutely hated horror movies. Like, hated them. I'm a big sissy. I don't like horror movies, okay? And my mom likes the slasher flicks. So the ones with all the gore and the slit throats and all that. And I absolutely hated it. And what's funny is is after like more than a decade of doing this with her, especially around Halloween, we'll like once a week, we'll go over and I'll go over and watch a horror movie with her. And, um, after bonding all these years through it, I eventually found out that I actually do. I did learn to like horror films. And if for no other reason, I still don't like the gore and all that, but if for no other reason, I like to look at it for the story beats and how they, um, um, a lot of it is trickery and cheating because they've got things that writers don't have on the page, like sound and visuals and, and things like that. You know, they can just tell you to feel suspenseful by playing that high, high shrill, uh, high pitched violin in the background, you know, when someone's on, on edge, they can cheat and stuff like that. But, um, as far as actually um, observing how they write the story and how they build tension and break it and all of that, um, I can learn a lot. And it's very interesting now to, to watch these movies. And like I said, over time, I've actually learned to like these horror movies, but I never, ever would have done that if it weren't for my mom really liking them and no one else doing it. So my goal was to just have something in common with her because that's really her only hobby. Like she's, She likes horror movies and that's basically her hobby. So in order for me to spend time with her and bond with her as I got older and had kids and all that, I just watch horror movies with her. And then we can talk about it and say which ones we love or we hate or whatever. And we've been bonding. So my son and I are nearly identical copies of each other as far as personality and humor and all that. You should really, really hear my son and i going back and forth about various things we are absolutely absurd anything that you think i've said that's absurd it's 10 times when i'm with him we're we're just we feed off each other and it's awesome we like the same things we like comic books we like rpgs we like video games um we just We just like the same stuff. So him and I are very easy to get along with each other. And I told you before that um, to, you know, have something in common with my younger two, I started doing the RPG, the D&D, the very simple D&D RPG. And that's something we both look forward, we all look forward to, and we spend time together and all that. So my oldest daughter, which is my second oldest, um, she and I have been reading books together. We've read um, Edge on the Sword, and we're almost done with Walk Across America. And those are fun. I mean, a Walk Across America is like a 360-page book, 370, 370-page book. It's a long book for me and an 11-year-old to sit down and read all the time. But we have been bonding over it. We have been spending time, and we can talk about what we read together and all that's great. But... I just discovered something that we can really enjoy together, and um, she's super excited about it. It is adorable. So when I was younger, I fell into the whole DBZ craze, the Dragon Ball Z craze, like many of you probably did if you're an analogous age to me. Around the early 2000s, when Toonami and Cartoon Network brought in all of those Dragon Ball Z, Gundam Wing, all of that, Sailor Moon. I was never into Sailor Moon, but you get the point. They brought all that stuff over. And I've got a lot of fun memories of Dragon Ball Z specifically, even though it's goofy and it's long winded and all that. So I bought the Dragon Ball Z um, DVDs and watched them with my kids a couple years ago, watched all the seasons of Dragon Ball Z through the Cell Saga, Boo Saga, all that. And um, they enjoyed it mostly. Um, So my daughter and all her friends are really getting into a bunch of this anime and manga where, you know, there's like a manga craze. It's, it's selling, it's outselling American comic books like tenfold. Manga is, and I think partially because there's not usually a lot of politics in manga. um, And if they are politics, you're separated from them. Like, if they make a reference to something you don't understand, it's probably Japanese politics. It's not American politics. So you really don't have any real opinion on it either way, because you probably don't even fully understand what they're talking about. And um, in a way, like, superheroes are always, you know, flashy and have neat characters and weird powers. So do a lot of the animes and mangas. So she, a lot of her friends have been telling her about Demon Slayer, which is a, and, uh, anime and a manga and she never really watched it much i think she watched part of one movie of it with her friends and all that it's like a teenage anime it's not one of those like you know weird tentacle movies or something like that it's nothing like that and um it's it is fairly gory but i mean it's cartoon gore and they're demons and a lot of it's kind of funny so it's i'm not that concerned with it um but it is adorable. I was uh, looking on Netflix because we rarely watch TV in my house. We're practically Amish. Like we we just rarely, we will all get together and watch one episode of Star Trek uh, probably three nights a week, maybe four, five at the most, five nights a week at the most, we will watch one episode of Star Trek. And that's basically the TV that we watch. We don't have satellite. We don't have cable. I have it all on DVD. We just don't, I don't know why we just don't do that. So we don't Netflix. We don't Hulu. None of that. And people wonder why I'm so productive, right? So anyway, uh, I happened to be looking on uh, Netflix because I had some downtime. And I was like, oh, I wonder, I'll, I'll try to find a show I want to watch. You know, I've never, I haven't been on Netflix in a long time. And Demon Slayer came up and I was like, oh, crap. So I called my daughter up and I said, hey, do you want to watch this with me? And you should have seen her face. She was so excited. She's like, oh, my God, we've got that on Netflix. I'm like, yeah. So we watched the first two episodes together and she has been telling me all about it. She's so excited. She said she never thought that she'd be able to watch the TV show because, like I said, we don't have Hulu or anything and the the full seasons are on hulu um which i'll probably end up subscribing to hulu just for the show because i want something to do with her and it's something we can have in common and the show is good i do like demon slayer it's a it's a cool show it's about demons that um hunt humans and then of course there's these humans that are specialized to kill demons and it's it's a cool show but i don't think i ever would have watched it probably if it weren't for trying to find some commonality and and common ground with her so I am very happy that she is thrilled. She's showing me all of her her trinkets and her stickers and her um, t-shirts and all of that with the different characters on them. And I am going to treat this kind of like a test. I am going to get into this lore. I'm going to memorize all the names. And for some reason, you know, Vegeta, Piccolo, Goku, all those names are very different. This show seems to have a lot of very similar sounding names or in the same vein to me at least. So far, I've memorized three names. There's Rengoku, which is one of her favorite characters, and I have not yet seen him in the show. Tanjiro? 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 Tanjiro, I think, is one of them. (laughs) I'm really struggling here. And then the girl is Nezuko. So I'm trying to come up with naming conventions. Like, okay, Zuko from Avatar. This is the new Zuko. So Nezuko. So it's the new Zuko. Okay, I got that one. And uh, I'm like, oh, a ton of Gyro. Okay, so ten- Gyro Tanjiro. It's, it's Tanjiro. It's Tanjiro. Whew. And of course, Goku is easy to remember, but its I am just wanted to let you know that as you get older, when your kids are small, it's really easy to find commonality. Oh, you want to play with blocks? Let's play with blocks. Oh, you want to go on a bike ride? Let's go on a bike ride. But as they get older and there's other influences and they have friends that are into other stuff and all that, I don't, I'm not suggesting you be the creepy parent that's like a helicopter parent and you're all up in their Kool-Aid constantly. That's not at all what I'm suggesting because she's been into this stuff for several months and I haven't even paid any attention to it really um but it just so happened that i came across it and i was like oh well let's watch it i like the anime from when i was a kid and um you know i like one piece and you know some other stuff. So, let's give this a shot and it is a good show. But I just wanted to tell you that she is so excited that she's going to get to watch this show and she's been talking my ear off all about the things that she knows, the spoilers in the in the plot and she's telling me she's been bringing up pictures on her tablet of oh, look, these are the demon killer squad and and she can name every single one of them and it's 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 pretty cute and I'm glad that we have some common ground that we can enjoy together. So, Just want to throw that out there as they get older. Make sure you find, and like I said, that happens with everybody. Friends, spouse, everybody. Find some commonality, something you can talk about. How many friends do I have? Pretty much all of my friends are related to me through Warhammer. And we can talk about Warhammer. Oh, look at that. That's common ground. That's a commonality, a common interest, right? None of these guys I would probably be friends with or have ever met if it weren't for Warhammer. No, I mean, sure, they're nice guys and if I somehow came in contact with them, I could be friends with them. But what keeps bringing us back together is the Warhammer. That's the that's the the cement that holds us all together. So, I just wanted to point that out to you and uh All right, let's get on to the next segment. I think I rambled on long enough. Let's open the Tesseract mailbox. This is the Tesseract Mailbox, and today we have a letter at pempcron@gmail.com at gmail.com from Jeremy. He writes, Cron, it's Jeremy. I wrote in once before a while back. How has life been? You know, it's pretty good, Jeremy. Let's continue. Anyway, wanted to write in and tell you guys how I discovered a way to quickly, and I mean quickly, paint a whole army. It's fantastic, and I thought you might be interested. I learned this with my Seraphon while I was messing around with paint schemes. Prime the model black, do a zenithal highlight of white spray paint, or maybe Wraithbone for a little softness. So, what he means by that is a you know, like the zenith of something is like directly above it, right? Like when you look up at the sky, that directly above you is the zenith of the sky. So. He's talking about holding spray paint the whole model black and then spray can it just from the top with a white so that it will the bottoms of things will not catch the white but the tops of things will. It's it's pretty interesting. And he writes, uh, so he says, do a zenithal highlight of white spray paint or maybe wraithbone for a little softness. Contrast that bitch hard. <laughs> I slathered them with blues and the contrast paired with the zenithal highlight basically gave me a lightest blue medium blue, darker blue and blackish blue. It looks awesome. I know that may not work for all armies, but it works for the Scalies. Then paint the weapon and bracelets a different color. I could see this being good for any army that is mostly one color. I haven't heard anybody talking about this method. Then I had another idea and it worked great too. I'm like a mad scientist with spray cans. Prime white, wash whole thing with null oil, let it dry contrast and he writes contrast in all capitals it actually comes out softer than the other method but gives food <laughs> gives food shading i think he meant good shading gives <laughs> gives good shading all right back to work later dude well thank you for writing in jeremy um that actually does sound interesting i would be interested to see if you want to send me some pictures of your stuff um i definitely could see that because if you've got a model that's all white and and use the contrast obviously the contrast pulls in all the resources uh, recesses and makes it darker so it's a lighter color to a darker color but if there was already black in all the recesses i guess you could probably do something similar if you primed it black and dry brushed it white before contrast i wonder that would probably be a similar effect um but that is actually interesting you know a lot of times contrast gives you basically two tones right it gives you the light tone and the dark tone well this if I think the way he's explaining it is the top of, let's say a head, right. Would be the lightest color because it's white. And then as it goes around, you know, around the face, the front of the face, it gets darker because that's not on the, on the top anymore, but it's still on the white. Then it hits all the black spots and gets darker from there. So I think that's a a really interesting idea. And thanks for sharing it with us. If anybody wants to try that, let me know. Um, Currently, I'm not starting any new armies, so that would be something you'd really have to do as an entire army, not as a single model. I think it would have probably a very particular look to it compared to just dry brushing or whatever. So if you want to send me uh, pictures, Jeremy, of your Seraphon, I'd love to see them. And uh, it's very cool. I love this hobby stuff that people occasionally write in with because uh, it's a lot of times it's a pretty unique idea. Similar to a couple of years ago I heard about using the Sharpie method for outlining things. That's pretty cool too. Anyway, uh, you can reach me at facebook.com slash pimpcron or pimcron at gmail.com or Instagram at pimpcron without the P because they would not allow me to use the word pimp, which is kind of funny. And <laughs> and um, I think that's it. Let's go to the next segment. Want that or want that not? On this episode's Want That or Want That Not, it is the Warhammer Day 2022 Bayard's Revenge. So it's $45, which honestly is like pretty run-of-the-mill, although it may actually be a slightly better price. And the reason why is that this guy is, I don't know what he is, Emperor's Champion is what he is and he is slaying an orc knob, and the pose is undeniably cool looking, okay, so the orc is laying down, like, with his arms out, he's got a power claw, and his head is back like he's in agony, and this Black Templar Emperor's uh, champion is shoving a sword in what appears to be his throat, it might be his chest, but, uh, it looks like a pretty darn cool model. I love it, and I'm I'm happy it's actually grimdark. A lot of these characters, especially with like the red gabo and stuff, sometimes they're a little cutesy, sometimes they're a little funny. This is pretty hardcore, and I like it. And the reason why I say it's not really a bad price is because a it's a limited edition model, okay. B it's actually a character model. It's not like oh knob number seven. Like a lot of times they do this BS with knobs or with, um, you know, generic space marines, like a sergeant. And I'm like, bro, I'm not spending $45 for a sergeant, okay? But an Emperor's Champion is actually a character. And this is a pretty cool character. Certainly not everybody's going to have this character as their Emperor's Children. and I mean, Emperor's Children, <laughs> Emperor's Champion. And uh, there was some heresy just then. And I could definitely see you just using him for other armies as well. I mean, cut off some of the little Black Templar things. And he could easily be some other model, especially if you've got a pal that plays orcs and you guys always play against each other. This is a real power move to have a model specifically killing an orc. Now, I don't know how this orc goes on here. If he's actually part of the base or not, he may be part of the base. But you could easily also make this uh, take the orc out if if it's actually a separate model and put in something else, a a Tyranid or whatever. And it could be pretty cool. I actually do like this model. Most of these limited edition models, I just don't care for that much. But $45 is basically the price of a character anyway nowadays. Let's be honest with ourselves. And it's got a cool diorama. I mean, I I have nothing bad to say about this. It's a very, very neat diorama for $45. So if you're Black Templars player, I would say it's an auto-take. And if you are a regular Space Marine, or even Chaos Space Marine player, then I could also see this as being a buy for you as well. Because it's just so unique looking. And clearly, there's going to be fewer of these in circulation than there will be of any of the regular Emperor's Champions. So, unfortunately, I don't have a whole lot to say about this. I love it. I think it's great. <laughs> I've got I've got no... Uh, No qualms with it at all. But what I do think is kind of funny is that on the Games Workshop website, they've got frequently bought together, right? And it's this model and the Black Templar's Codex. And you're like, oh, cool. You know, that's neat. And then in addition to those is the Emperor's Champion model, like the regular Emperor's Champion model. So the regular Emperor's Champion model is $38 and this one's $45. I think this one's way cooler looking than that one. Um, especially if you already have an Emperor's Champion model, then having another one as a different pose is pretty neat. And I think it's funny that they're trying to tell me that most people frequently buy the Black Templar's Codex and this model and the Emperor's Children model. Now explain to me to this. Does this make any sense? And I often wonder this about websites. It says frequently bought together. So are you telling me that people that normally buy this model don't already own the Black Templar Codex? So you mean this model is actually getting people into the army and it's so frequent that you put frequently bought together as a suggestion? That's kind of... That's kind of uh, disingenuous, in my opinion. And then you're trying to tell me that not only do they normally buy this model and the Codex, because clearly they're brand new Black Templar players, right? The Codex, Black Templar Codex has been out for, what, a year, practically? And they're just now buying the Codex with this model? Mm Okay. But also, they say that people buy the regular Emperor's Champion in addition to the Codex and this Emperor's Champion. Oh, come on, GW. This is not... This is not even well thought out. I mean, it's it's clearly not real. It's clearly them just trying to upsell you something, which I often wondered. Like when you go on Amazon or whatever and it says, "Oh, frequently purchased together." Now, some of it makes sense, right? It would be like a flashlight and batteries, right? Okay. Well, that does make sense. They probably are frequently bought together. But this Codex, this model apparently is bringing all the boys to the yard with its milkshake because they want to Start playing Black Templars specifically for from this limited edition model. Games Workshop, come on. Come. G- Games. Games Workshop. Come on. No, don't even. Games Workshop, don't even try to explain it away. You and I both know what's going on here. And it's ridiculous. So, don't even. Anyway. It is a want that for me. I really like this model, although I find their pairing suggestions a little dubious, but I do really like this model. I think you should go get it. If I had a Marine's Army right now, I'd probably go get one. All right. I will see you on the next side of this music. Now it's time for Real Talk with Pimp Cron. It's Real Talk with the Pimp Cron and we're discussing the man who set his Warhammer fantasy armies on fire when age of sigmar came out if you don't recall that it's a pretty funny (laughs) rage quit uh when right when age of sigmar was coming out i don't know if it was announced or it had just come out and the old world was finally dead this guy set up all of his warhammer fantasy armies and i can see some looks like it's basically dark elves there might be some other armies there but um a lot of dark elves he's got a ton of witches a cane altar, a bunch of executioners, He just got a bunch of stuff. And he set it out in the yard, and he lit it on fire. And it's a, like a 15-minute rant about the death of Warhammer Fantasy. And, of course, on one hand, I can totally feel this guy's pain, right? If he loved everything Warhammer Fantasy was about, and then Age of Sigmar is such like a 180-degree whiplash, I could definitely see where you'd be angry. And I think a lot of people thought that Age of Sigmar was going to be a flash in the pan. It was going to die out really quickly. And uh, come to find out, I mean, Age of Sigmar, I think, has been pretty darn popular. And I was not a very big Warhammer Fantasy fan, but I am a very big Age of Sigmar fan. And I think they've done a ton of new, cool, interesting things, making all their new armies and things like that. I am personally a fan of Age of Sigmar. And matter of fact, in a lot of ways, since 9th edition, I like it better than 40k, just for simplicity's sake. Okay, so I was like, man, I wonder if he ever got uh, interviewed or anything like that. Let me go look it up. So this is an article I want to share with you from Ten Copper, which I've never even heard of. It's a website and it's from 2015. It says, meet the man who hates Age of Sigmar so much that he set his Warhammer army on fire. It's supposedly six hundred dollars worth of army, but six hundred dollars, if you recall back at that time. Like an army box for troops, 10 troops was like 25 bucks. And what are they? 35, 40 now easily. So you're probably looking more at $1,200 in today's money. And, um, I just thought this was funny. It says when John torched his Warhammer fantasy army on camera, he wasn't expecting anybody to notice or even care, but spurred on by the incredibly divided reaction to games, workshop controversial rebooting of their universe. John's video of melting dark elves and screaming death metal has been passed around hundreds of thousands of times. He knew that a man willing to give his tiny plastic elves a proper Viking send-off, prefaced by an extremely expletive rant was a man with some strong opinions. Needless to say, we sent John an email immediately. So then they interview him a bit. A little of it's not really that interesting. He's 29, master's degree, lives in Louisiana. You know, he'd been playing Warhammer for 16, 17 years at that point. So then we get to the good part. Did you believe the rumors about Age of Sigmar when they started circulating? Did you really think GW would do something like this? John replies, GW has implemented some terrible business plans over the years, but even I never believed they would do something so patently insane. I absolutely did not believe the rumors. With the exception of one person, my club was convinced that the rumors for Age of Sigmar were the fevered fabrications of gamer hysteria. We were absolutely convinced that Warhammer 9th edition would roll out on schedule and without fail, as had the previous editions. Then they ask, Do you believe now that GW are actually going to balance the game for competitive play, or is it still just talk? He writes, Without completely revising the system, I don't see how this is possible. The system would need to be rebuilt from the ground up. I have yet to read about a homebrew system that adequately patches the game for competitive play. Given GW's track record of design and playtesting, quote-unquote, I seriously doubt their capability to even recognize a functional system. (laughs) Okay, so this was seven years ago, and we still say the same things about GW's playtesting and about their balance and all of that, but it's interesting to think that... John himself admits that Warhammer Fantasy Battles was in such a mess, such a jumbled up mess, that it was not good for competitive play. You couldn't go to tournaments and easily have things work out without it being rock, paper, scissors. And over the different editions of Warhammer Fantasy, they made it so that hordes were super, super powerful. And then other editions, heroes were super, super powerful, where you just had a... it was called Hero Hammer, basically. And you would have this one character like Nagash or somebody that was just nuts. And then everyone else was kind of chaff. Well, even he admits that you would have to completely revise the system to balance it. And yet he was still angry when they completely revised the system and balanced it. Now, I know that's not entirely a completely fair uh, a fair analysis of that because he's not just mad they redid the system he's mad that they squatted some of the armies and you know they got rid of tomb kings and bretonians and just a bunch of stuff so it's not entirely that's not entirely accurate and it's a little unfair to him but you still get the point it's funny that he basically admits that it needed to be completely reset and then was kind of angry when they did then they hit him with a little harder of a question you compared continuing on with 8th edition fantasy to, quote, eating glass. Do you actually hate 8th edition WFB? Or is it just that everything is tainted forever now by association? So what they mean is after Age of Sigmar was released, could you continue to play 8th edition, right? And that's basically what the whole organization 9th uh, age was, right? They decided they were going to make their own 9th edition and fix things and, and restat things and all that. So he could have he joined in on Kings of War. He could have joined in on 9th edition, any of that. He answers, I don't hate 8th edition WFB. In fact, I rather enjoyed it, although not as much as previous editions. The problem lies in the fact that I have no desire to play a game without support. Without some sort of official support, each community will begin to develop its own house rules and further fragment the system. Now, I believe John is 100% correct here. We already had Swedish, ETC, American Swedish, and so on. Further fragmentation will only continue to degrade a system already on its last legs. To me, a game without some kind of overarching agreement on how it should be played is not significantly different from playing with G.I. Joes or Army Men. You may as well make up the rules as you go along. Who's to stop you? As for the comparison to Eating Glass, the rant was intended to be hyperbolic. And he kind of devolves from there for a little while, so let's move on to the next question. They ask him, you've outlined the flaws in almost every facet of Age of Sigmar. Is there any way, in your opinion, that Age of Sigmar can be fixed? John writes, the introduction of points would make it playable, although not palatable. Now, this is 100% true. John was actually correct in this because Age of Sigmar 1.0, many of you probably don't know if you're newer to the game, but it had no points. You were just supposed to take whatever you wanted to bring and talk it out with your opponent which, once again, I've discussed with game design, you need to have the competitives in mind for um, preventing exploits, and then you can crank it down for the narratives. Well, this is a... GW just went complete off the rails and uh, just decided no points at all. John continues, To make a good game would require a complete revision of the system, so much so that it would cease to be the same game. Even with a complete rules revision, it would then simply be another skirmish game in a sea of skirmish games. Now, he calls Age of Sigmar... Another interesting thought is that he calls Age of Sigmar a skirmish game. It certainly is not in the scale of skirmish game, okay? But he's coming from Warhammer Fantasy Battles, which, if you're not familiar, used trays and turning arcs and flanking and everything was very regimented and very precise and measured. So, Age of Sigmar and 40k are, in a way skirmish games because they're so loose you don't necessarily need a formation a block of six by two people you know it, they can be in blobs and different um different shapes and then in speaking to all the backlash he got he said most people said he was wasting money or wasting plastic because he could just sell it and do something else with it but what the interesting thing for me is he says and then there were the occasional lunatics and internet tough guys who messaged us with death threats or hoped that we would develop lung cancer from the fumes in some sort of karmic retribution. Sadly, I must report I wore a respirator, and my expiration from fume inhalation seems a remote possibility. And then he basically he concludes saying that he doesn't regret doing it. And then this is where it kind of gets juicy. They say, any predictions for the future of Aegis of Sigmar or GW in general? I think Aegis Sigmar will join the rubbish bin of gaming history alongside Battlefleet Gothic. Dreadfleet, Inquisitor, and other GW failures. I believe G- GW's star is waning with the eminence of the internet and the the access to other games. He said some word I don't even know. Concomitant access to other games. No idea what that word even is. GW has lost their virtual monopoly with too many credible alternatives. People have no reason to subject themselves to a predatory marking scheme. GW may not crash and burn. They may pull out of this dive, but they will cease to be the monolith they have been up to this point. So you let me know. What do you think? Do you think that Age of Sigmar is still destined for the rubbish bin of history? And has Games Workshop lost their monopoly on the wargaming industry? Hmm... Well, my thoughts on that are Age of Sigmar is probably far, far more popular and profitable than Warhammer Fantasy. Uh, We've covered several of the issues with Warhammer Fantasy in the past, like the bloat of models that they had and the bloat of models that had been out for decades, literal decades. So they needed to... I mean, just the secondary market must have been a huge punch in the gut for GW because you could buy whole Warhammer fantasy armies for pretty cheap instead of buying the new models from them, right? They make no money off of eBay or whatever. So that's number one. They had to start injecting new life and new sales into this thing and nobody was buying anything. Uh, My Alan Merritt interview discussed that in the first time I interviewed him a couple years ago. And I think Age of Sigmar has been really popular and really successful. So I don't think that is at all in the rubbish heap of history or anything like that has game shop-, <laughs> game shop games workshop lost their monopoly hmm i definitely could say that with the advent of 3d printers because i don't even mention that this was seven years ago and 3d printers were not nearly as ubiquitous as they are now i think that games workshop may have lost a bit of the dirt under their foundation so to speak but i don't think that they have really lost their crown just yet this might be a slightly different topic or a weird topic for you guys, but I just thought it was interesting. I thought I would share it. I love those articles from the past that turn out pretty wrong in the future. And of course, nobody can ever predict the future, but I just thought it was funny. And I never did hear what happened to that guy. So I never heard why he did it. I mean, you kind of know why he did it a little bit, but I wanted to know more of the story and uh, he was just very angry. So it says that he moved on to malifaux and infinity and war machine and he was much happier and he said goodbye to warhammer now i would love to know if you ever did get back into warhammer or not that would be really interesting to know and by golly maybe he's playing Age of sigmar now oh gasp anyway thank you for listening to the show and hopefully this was interesting thank you to gamemat.eu for supporting the show as well as panhandle3d.com and our beautiful 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 sexyful good smelling full Patreon patrons. I'll see you next week, folks.